to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible on how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hello, y'all. Thank you for tuning in today. I am Kelly Newcomb, founder of Brave Parenting. I'm also a mother of seven adopted children, a passionate advocate of quality counseling, and I'm almost, almost able to call myself a biblical theologian. Chelsea, I'm so close to finishing my master's degree. I can't wait for you to finish it, obviously, because I'm going to have more time with you when you're done. And I am Chelsea Hiesel. I am a co-laborer in Brave Parenting. I'm a mother of three children. I have two biological children and one adopted child. And I have an associate's in psychology and a bachelor's of arts in biblical counseling from the Master's University. And I am an ACBC certified biblical counselor. And today we give you those introductions because the issue that we are talking about today is one that we actually have a lot of stake in, one that we are both very passionate about and have serious concerns regarding AI's invasion of this subject. That's right. Today, we are going to be covering AI therapy chatbots. These are chatbot apps that are specifically created as substitutes for in-person or telehealth style or even live counseling, like counseling with a human being who's educated and trained and licensed and experienced in providing mental health care and counseling to individuals who need it. Well, how are they substitutes then? They are the chatbots, which means they're not humans. They substitute human interaction. They are the chatbots trained on cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical therapy models in order to stand in the widening gap and lack of mental health care providers that exist right now in the U.S. Yeah, and as a mom to seven adopted children, I am very well experienced in the world of counseling. Whether you know it or not, children who are in foster care are required to be in weekly counseling. And even after they are adopted, regular counseling is encouraged and is very beneficial for the challenges that both the child and the parent face. So I understand very well the barriers to finding quality and affordable mental health care for children and teens. And The other aspect of that is when you do find that good care, managing the appointments, you know, because there's work schedules and school schedules to maneuver around. That's equally challenging. So all of that said, I firmly believe, though, that counseling can be immensely helpful. In fact, I have seen it be very helpful in my own children. Now, obviously, as for myself, I'm a biblical counselor, so I think highly of counseling and its efficacy. But I've been concerned and I am concerned for the replacement of humans in each other's lives, especially for Christians, when the New Testament has so many one another commands and there's such a great emphasis in the New Testament, just book after book of the importance of community. Now, Kelly, we've seen this trend of isolating. It's kind of been a slow fade over the past, you know, decade that technology has just gripped our hearts a little bit tighter each year. And we are making the choice to disengage with friends and even our family. And you know what? Whether you're a believer or not, this is seriously going to impact your soul. Yeah, Chelsea, I think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners because for a long time, I did not know this. So I think it'd be beneficial um, for them to know what, can, what is the difference, if you can describe this, between a Christian counselor and a biblical counselor? That's a really good question. So first... Let me be really clear. There are dear and devoted brothers and sisters in Christ that are either Christian counselors or biblical counselors who are trying to help others in the body of Christ. And I am not here to malign anyone. 
But with that said, there are marked differences in how a Christian counselor is trained versus how a biblical counselor is trained. Now, counseling of any kind, any kind of counseling is intrinsically theological. I think it's A.W. Tozer who says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So the behaviors, the motivations, the emotions, the thoughts of a counselee are all reflections of what they believe about God. Now, as brothers and sisters in Christ counseling each other, where should we go to interpret or filter the data that we gather from a counselee? Where should we also seek the answers for the questions that come up in counseling? Without a doubt, we should go to the Bible. So therein lies the difference between a Christian counselor and a biblical counselor. A biblical counselor relies on the sufficiency of scripture. It's not that we're anti-science. Biblical counselors recognize and appreciate the common grace of science, but we have a fidelity to scripture because we believe that God transforms people using his living and active word. Biblical counselors have a deep desire to offer a redeemer and not a system of redemption. The Christian counselor tends to have training that is a mix of blended worldviews ranging from Freudian instinctual to maybe Rogers positive potential to scriptural to cognitive behavioral therapy. And the Christian counselor will interpret all of that data that's gathered in counseling and they're going to provide answers and counsel through those competing worldviews that they've been trained in. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. I think that's helpful as we move forward for people to just sort of know and understand the difference. So as we're going to, towards the end, make some references to that. So for today's podcast, we're going to start with a little review of the mental health crisis and why many feel that AI therapy chatbots could, could solve the shortage of caregivers needed to address the issue. Then we're going to detail some of the alternative tech-driven solutions And of course, give our feedback on those as well. And most importantly, we'll discuss the most important and most benefit-predicting aspects of counseling and how AI therapy chatbots present greater concern than hope. Yeah, all right. So let me get rolling with some statistics. According to a recent journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, the use of mental health services by insured Americans jumped 40% between 2019 and 2022. That equates to an increase of 15 million people since 2002. According to a 2022 CDC report, and we've reported on this um, back last year, 57% of teen girls of teen girls report feeling perpetually sad and hopeless. And 20% of American high school students, both boys and girls, seriously consider suicide. In fact, in the last two decades, suicide rates for Americans ages 10 to 24 have increased by 62%. Now, these numbers represent real lives, image bearers of God who are struggling mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And they are representative of the uh, sort of mental health crisis that has swept the nation touching kids and young adults and parents. Due to this increase in depression, anxiety, hopelessness, and suicidality, there have been an obvious rise in demand for counselors, psychologists, and even psychiatrists, to the point that there is now an estimated eight to 10,000 counselor provider deficits in our country right now. Now, 
We have lots of thoughts about why there is such a great need for mental health care right now, but we don't have time, nor is it specifically relevant to our topic at hand. But if you're interested, we've talked about media and technology's contribution to this in previous podcasts. You can go back and listen to episode 108, which is a critique of the American Psychological Association's recommendation for adolescent social media use, or even episode 105, The Content-Driven Life, and episode 94, The Heart and Online Influence, for more insight into this. But the relevant question for our topic today is, how does everyone who needs help get that help, get that counseling that they need? That's a great question. And I know it's a question on a lot of Americans' minds, specifically parents when their kids are in these really tough places. So there have been a couple of proposed solutions. First, and this is stemmed directly from the pandemic um, during the boom of Zoom, and that's teletherapy. Now, this form of counseling was employed to connect counselors and their counselees when in-person meetings were governmentally banned. Several teletherapy-specific apps were launched during this time, and they're actually still being utilized. There are valid arguments for choosing an in-person counselor or even a psychiatrist because an authentically different dynamic exists when two people are alone in a room together than when they're only face-to-face through a screen. However, overall, teletherapy has been a helpful solution to meet this high demand for care. Kelly, actually, I know that you've experienced your fair share of teletherapy. Could you add anything specifically to this portion of our podcast? Yeah. So we've utilized teletherapy quite a bit since 2020. You know, I never used it before that. Obviously, everything was in person. But since some of my kids were already established with counselors before the pandemic, we were able to maintain continuity of care through teletherapy. And that was great because we we desperately needed that when we all of a sudden had seven kids back at home instead of in school. And since then, Um, I've even helped some of my adult kids find teletherapy for different seasons of their life, whether they either don't have a a car to get to in-person visits or their work schedule made it really difficult to schedule visits. And so for them, it really was a situation of teletherapy or no therapy. And, you know, I was thankful for the option of teletherapy for them. And it's pretty easy to find and to use. Right. Teletherapy, it has been a positive use of technology. But now, technology progress presents another solution to solve the lack of provider and growing mental health crisis, and that solution is AI chatbots. (laughs) Now, if you've listened to the past two podcasts on AI chatbots and relationships, you can already anticipate some concerns with this approach to therapy. But nonetheless, it is important to know the narrative circulating online and in culture about the potential for AI chatbots. So let me start by explaining that one of the distinctive issues in mental health treatment is that it relies on the subjective interaction between the patient and the provider, how the patient describes their symptoms, how they relay stories. And similarly, it involves the provider's subjectivity and how they perceive the patient and any presuppositions that they may have. This is compared to other areas of healthcare, which have specific biomarkers or measurable data to objectively evaluate. So for example, if you have high blood pressure, a doctor knows exactly how to treat you. Even if you have something kind of nebulous like chronic pain, there are diagnostic tools like blood work and MRIs which can lead to conclusive diagnosis. But mental health doesn't have these concrete indicators 
to determine the exact cause of someone's stress. Now, because of this, mental health care providers can often rely, rely on like reliable patterns of behavior or thought processes that are seen in counseling that are sort of across the board for all patients in order to diagnose and to provide appropriate counseling. Well, one thing that we know is that AI is really good at learning and finding patterns within tons of complex data. This is why AI is seen as the long-awaited hero for the world of mental health. Now, preliminary research has shown that AI could help doctors choose the right antidepressants for particular patients or even study the speech and writing patterns of a person for signs of mental distress or illness. Now, granted, this type of AI is analytical. And it isn't the conversational chatbot kind, but incorporating AI in this fashion obviously opens the doors for the potential of chatbots. Yeah, so one of the leading justifications for AI chatbot therapy is that very fact that humans have shown themselves capable of developing a relationship with a chatbot. And this should be obvious if you've listened to the past two weeks of podcasts This is happening across the board and multiple different types of apps. Humans are developing relationships with chatbots. Now, one of the most popular AI chatbot therapy apps, Wobot, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, says this on their website, quote, Wobot's ability to form close relationships helps make our solutions highly engaging. In as little as three to five days, Wobot has been shown to form a trusted bond with its users. Wow. We have established over the last two weeks, there is a serious concern that these businesses are promoting chatbots as their greatest asset. These apps are relying on the person to make a personal connection with the bot. Otherwise, they know that their therapy is not going to work because the strongest determinant for therapy or counseling success is the client-provider relationship but it's all dependent on the counselee. And I'll just add here that some research thrown around in this conversation states that people who have used AI chatbot therapy apps for about five months report a 34% improvement in mood and 32% reduction in anxiety. In one poll, 80% of people who use ChatGPT, not even specifically therapy, but have used ChatGPT for mental health advice, found it a good alternative to regular therapy. Again, let's just point out the subjectivity involved in this reporting. We are relying on the subjective responses of individuals. It's the very same issue that surrounds mental health care. Right, yeah, so much subjectivity. So now, thanks to Chelsea's professional insight and experience, I want to go into evaluating what are really the most important aspects of counseling in order to see if the way that counseling has been done and the way that it's been successfully done, especially if that can in any way align with what artificial intelligence and chatbots have to offer. Okay. As we've stated before, the most important aspect of counseling is the human interaction. It is establishing a secure relationship between the client and the provider So that through that relationship, those often intimate details of life can be shared in order to receive feedback that helps the client heal and cope and overcome and change. This requires trust. Trust is an equally important aspect of counseling. In order to share those intimate, painful, and sometimes even shameful details of life, 
There has to be trust. Likewise, in order to accept the counselor or the therapist's recommendation or homework, as I call it, there also has to be trust. If there's no trust, there is no openness to either give or receive, and really, it's not effective care. And finally, I think I would add that an important component to effective counseling is biblical faithfulness. Now, right away, I know that some of you guys are thinking there are almost no biblically faithful counselors out there. And if they are, that's what they are in their private lives. They're never that way in their clinical practice. And that's true. For most therapists and counselors who are available, who accept commercial insurance for care, it's not that they don't exist. It's just that we're very few in number. This is the difference between a biblical and a Christian counselor and the rest. So here, my point in this is many, not all, but many of those suffering from mental health issues like depression or anxiety are simultaneously wrestling with some kind of pressure in their life and a sin issue and wrong thoughts about God. Now, the pressure in their life is like a tea bag that's steeped in hot water, okay? So the hot water represents a pressure in life, like maybe a mean boss. And the tea bag is, is us. It represents us. But inside of us is sin. And that's represented by the tea leaves. So when the bag goes into the hot water, the tea seeps out, right? That's the sin seeping out in that hot water pressure situation. And it weighs us down. And we are all like that because we are weak creatures who are in need of a savior who is strong enough to bear our sin and our shame. So let's just kind of think of this in a generic example of a teenager who's seen a counselor for depression or anxiety. Now, assuming there is not an acute crisis such as the parents divorcing or the death of a loved one, we have to examine the heart more closely. We need to look at the motivations, the wants and desires, the functional idols, maybe like social media and their expectations in relationships. What do they expect from God or what do they expect from their parents? Now, in this situation, it's really easy to overlook their relationship with God and just get to fixing the issue that's more obvious, like unmet, unmet expectations from their parents or maybe the influential content of social media. It's so easy to just say, be nicer to your parents. They feed you for crying out loud or just get off social media. It's poison. But the bigger issue underneath all of that is more about how they understand God and his reality and how they interpret themselves in that reality. If we overlook addressing the counselee's heart towards God, then we simply modify behaviors and neglect the soul. A biblical counselor will realize that a right relationship with God will affect all the other relationships in a person's life. I think it's R.C. Sproul who says that when our orthodoxy, our right thinking is good, when our orthodoxy is correct, then we have good orthopraxy. We have good or right practices. So getting the counselee to understand who they are in light of a holy God who sent his son to die for them and redeemed them from the curse of sin and has given them new life and the ability to say no to sin and who has promised them eternal salvation in his kingdom, that kind of goodness takes something like unmet expectations off the throne in a counselee's heart and puts Christ back where he rightly should be in the counselee's heart. This is the good news of great joy the angels heralded to the shepherds. This is the hope that I get to offer or remind every single counselee. And man, <laughs> if I don't get choked up every single time, and a chatbot cannot do that. A chatbot cannot give a person Jesus 
the redeemer that all humanity needs. The results of chatbot therapy are going to be short-lived and temporary because a chatbot cannot rightly answer the fundamental questions of humanity, like who is God and who am I? Yeah. Wow, Chelsea, that's a great explanation. So the most important aspects of counseling then we can understand as to help the person understand God, their thoughts about God, and to really see themselves in light of God's truth and reality. I think that's pretty a fair assessment. And I think that everybody can probably look at that objectively and say, yeah, when you get those things right, all those other stresses can be put into line. All right. So now in order to fairly and objectively evaluate whether or not AI chatbots are going to be effective at doing this, let's walk through some of the common apps. Now, first, I'm going to start with teletherapy apps. Now, these are not the apps that utilize the AI chatbots but rather they're connecting clients and providers together through the app and offering sort of FaceTime like counseling, teletherapy with human counselors who yes, are licensed and are trained. The, the two most popular are Better Health and Talkspace. Some of these apps also have features that allow you to message your counselor day or night, which I'm not 100% sure how good texting is through uh, with your counselor, how great that is. But they also offer access to group webinars for situations that might benefit from group therapy, which is kind of good. Others do offer like gamified type of aspects that allow you to track your progress and reward you for opening the app because yay, you're caring about your mental health care. I think this is exploitive and it's absolutely counterproductive for a mental health app. And frankly, there's just no need for that. So overall, I would say that these are fair technological resources to use in order to access care. Um, but that other stuff is just nonsense. To put it out there, I would say Better Health is definitely the best app for this, for finding teletherapy without all of that extra garbage. Now, another type of app here is the self-help therapy category. Now, popular apps in this category include Youper, subtitle CBT Therapy Chatbot, Bloom, subtitle CBT Therapy and Journal, and also Talkspace Go. Now, the first two, Youper and Bloom, as their name indicates, incorporates CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, as well as AI. They do offer some non-AI chatbot features within the app, but the push seems to be towards the chatbot on Youper. Bloom, on the other hand, sort of offers you your choice of a guide who is an actual human. It's not like an avatar, but in reality, it's, it's AI. And there is AI tracking every interaction um, as well. It encourages you to journal and track your mood so that AI can evaluate that. This is precisely what AI proponents have claimed that AI has been very effective at learning and, and doing. And it's recognizing those patterns and then delivering CBT equivalent to a human counselor. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're doing. They're using the AI to analyze it 100%. Now, the third app in that category is Talkspace Go. And in my research, I didn't find any AI specifically being employed. It really seemed to be self-guided video and blog style tutorials. So generally, I would rate this app a little bit better in the self-help category. Now, the next category I want to include is mindfulness or mood apps. And I want to include these because there is 
a very great chance that an adolescent struggling with moodiness or just emotional upheaval, just the, the normal things of puberty, right? They are the ones who may just kind of jump on this mindfulness bandwagon because it's so promoted in, in secular culture or just self-love, all of that sort of stuff. And so if they have the ability to, they may download an app like this and try and use it. Now, the most popular in this category are Calm, Headspace, Seven Cups, and Worry Dolls. Now, let me walk through some of these. Uh, Most all of these tend to promote like sleep, meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, stress management, and focus. And that can all seem fine. Of course, we have to ask ourselves as Christians, how are they doing this? I mean, to me, anything that's going to promote good sleep, that is good. But if they're saying that you're, you're doing this by leaving the app run all night, by playing certain type of music, and maybe it's like, you know, kind of Buddhist, Tibetan type of meditation, well, that might be somewhat concerning. Now, Seven Cups is very unique in that it offers anonymous emotional support and counseling from trained active listeners. <laughs> I had never heard of this, but the app details that, uh, that the listeners that are on this app that just actively listen to you and provide you emotional support and counseling are 100% volunteers who simply have a desire to help. Yikes. That's, I'm sorry, that's really bizarre. Do you remember what we said about secure and trusted relationships as the key to therapy? You know, sometimes pain people enables you to like hold them accountable for what they say and how they counsel, but volunteers without some kind of training or at the very least some kind of vetting seems like bad doesn't even encompass it, Kelly. It's not a bad idea. It's like an awful, horrendous idea. It's very dangerous. Who knows what they could be encouraging or instilling, especially into a young person who doesn't have the ability to discern. All right. So then I want to give an honorable mention to worry dolls. It's so intriguing. The tagline is tiny dolls to remove anxiety. And the idea here is that via the app, you tell a worry that you have to a worry doll, and that worry doll carries the worry for you. And voila, no more anxiety. So in full disclosure, I did have a set of worry dolls before they were on an app. I think I got them when we lived in Turkey. I grew up as a military kid, but I I honestly, I can't remember how I got them, but I think it was in Turkey. But it was the same idea. They came in this little bag and there were seven dolls with a little rolled up piece of paper that explained what they were supposed to do. And I remember using them. But for the context of my situation, I was a kid without Jesus. I was caught between contentiously divorced parents and I was living in a pretty rough situation. Now, that doesn't excuse the fact that I use them. But honestly, I would have used anything if it promised to take my worry away. And I did use them. Now, I don't think I really believe that these dolls would work, but I can remember wishing that they would work, which I think just made the hurt sting a little bit more because it was just false hope at the end of the day. Yeah, that's really precisely it. It's just what you said. Kids certainly feel that exact way. They'll just do anything to make the anxiety to go away, to make the depression go away. Whether it's a worry doll or a chatbot, or you know, a mindful mindfulness app, whatever that is, in desperation with so many choices to choose from in an app store, kids will absolutely choose these options. 
All right, so finally, we're gonna get to our last category of apps, and that is the ones that are specifically marketed for AI chatbot therapy. Now, there are many, many, but the most popular are, and you can you can search this, y'all. If you search top AI therapy chatbots, this is pretty much the top three. One, WISA, or WISA, I'm not sure, W-Y-S-A. Two, Wobot, W-O-E-B-O-T. And three, Replica. Yes, Replica. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, so many of these places listed Replica. Replica's the AI companion chatbot app we talked about last week. You remember Chatbot Howard and how he like topped the creepiness chart? This, this app is what many sites are rating as one of the top chatbot therapy apps. It's crazy. Kelly, this is insane. How is this helping people? I don't, I'm sorry, but as a counselor, I just, part of me just wants to kind of like collapse out of my chair and just give up. Like, I just want to wave my white flag and be like, I don't, I can't. I, I just, replica? Seriously? I agree. I couldn't believe it because there's definitely no therapy at all going on there. But as for Wisa and Wobot, now Wisa states, quote, Wisa is used by more than a million people from all walks of life. Research-backed, widely used techniques of CBT and DBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and meditation are employed to support you with depression, stress, anxiety, sleep, and a whole range of other mental health and wellness needs, end quote. Now, on the Wobot website, they say, quote, our proprietary technology combines decades of research in psychology with advanced AI to assess symptoms of anxiety, depression, and other mental health needs and respond with empathy. Now, having walked through these apps, I think you can just, just listening to them. And these are, I would say these are two of the, they're definitely reputable. They're really trying. I I would say that they are trying to be an answer to the problem. They're not necessarily trying to exploit people with gamification. I will give them that. I think they really are trying to be an answer. But as we talked about how AI is being used, all, every sort of text you give it, it's, it's analyzing. It's trying to assess your symptoms. It's trying to find all of those answers. And it may, it may come out and say, yes, it sounds like you are struggling with depression. But that doesn't change a person. That just gives them information. So we can identify some of these concerning aspects of accessing counseling and therapy through this app especially when it's, com- when it's combined with this AI chatbot. So let's walk through some of those obvious concerns in case you haven't already pinpointed them. I think that's a great idea. So first and obvious is the concern surrounding developing a relationship with a computer that only claims anthropomorphic attributes such as empathy or compassion and experience. No matter how real a bot may seem, they are only as good as the data that they are trained on. Learning empathy from a large language model cannot and never will be the same as empathy learned from a living human. In fact, there are studies out there that are making the claim that technology is reducing our ability to empathize. So the more you interact with the bot, 
the question is, are you actually decreasing your ability to empathize with other people around you? The qualities that chatbots are promoted to have, like compassion, empathy, understanding, and the like, those are all emotions that coincide with body language and nonverbal cues. An AI chatbot cannot give that easily, easily. I would guess that at least 15% of my counseling is looking for the nonverbal cues. I can ask questions like, why are you looking down right now? Or how come you broke eye contact with me? Now, you can get some of that through teletherapy with a live human counselor, maybe, but not as good as you can with someone you are sitting in person with. And let's refer back to what we had said before. The AI chatbot apps, they're boasting that their greatest selling point is that research that shows that humans can indeed develop relationships with chatbots. I mean, to us, looking at this from a biblical worldview, from our you know, parental view, as well as Chelsea's clinical perspective, this research demonstrates our need for caution with chatbots, not an invitation to just run into relationships with them because we can, because it's possible. Exactly. What they see as positive research, we interpret or we see as deeply concerning. Now, that's predominantly because we are always thinking of those with non-fully formed frontal lobes, children, adolescents, adults. They cannot always discern and critically evaluate distinctions that blur what is true and false, reality and AI. Now, based on what we shared over the past two weeks, when it comes to young people engaging with this technology, I believe our concerns are verifiably justified, Kelly. Yeah, I do believe that as I said before, the creators of some of these apps do truly seek maybe the betterment and well-being of humanity and genuinely see this as a solution. But we already know the sinfulness of, of man. And there are so many of them out there that are just in it for the money and want to exploit you. They want your subscription that's going to renew automatically and that they know that you're never going to use. You're never going to actually get a benefit from the app but you'll just hopefully conveniently forget to cancel the, the subscription and they'll get your money. That's exactly it. It's big tech. We have to remember big tech is behind all of this. So let's hit our second concern. And that is that people of all ages will be deceived into thinking that an AI chatbot is more trustworthy than a human. So let's just take an example of a young woman, maybe 22, right? Let's say she cheated on her boyfriend with his best friend. Maybe she had an abortion. Maybe she's selling herself on OnlyFans, right? There are just a million embarrassing possibilities that she just cannot seem to overcome. And she is paralyzed with fear to tell another person, even a counselor. Surely this girl can be easily swayed into sharing her secrets with a non-judgmental AI chatbot who can help her get over it and never tell a soul. I don't, Kelly, this is not hard to imagine that AI chatbots are going to become normalized more and more. And trust is going to be given to them by the most vulnerable of our society. And that's young adults, adolescents without those fully formed brains. I believe that there, I even read some research that showed that uh, there is a growing tendency of trust in humans for this technology um, over humans. Like I'm going to trust the technology more than I'm going to trust humans. And now there are several concerns that flow from this. First is the data breaches. You know, we discussed this last time too, but there needs to be more concern with how much and what is shared online and in cloud-connected places. If the app does not have strong encryption, 
data can be leaked. And even if it does have strong encryption, remember also when we discussed, you know, there are many countries, many companies that are buying up encrypted data like crazy, knowing that one day soon in the future, quantum computing is going to be reached and the encryption can all be unlocked by these quantum computers. And they're going to possess massive amounts of data that they can use really against humanity. Can, can you even consider how life-destroying this would be for this type of data to all be made public? I, I think this is something that we don't often consider because it, it hasn't really happened to the extent that I think that it's possible. But truly, we need to be more considerate of, of all the things that go online nowadays, especially private information, especially stuff about our kids. And the second concern I would add flows from this trusting the chatbot more than a human. And that is the lack of rebuke and correction and, and critical feedback that the AI chatbot will give you. You know, it's a well-established fact that chatbots are trained to tell you what you want to hear. Replica did exactly that, right? My AI chat companion learned enough about me to tell me that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior in high school. Y'all, a chatbot is telling me that he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in high school when I had just created him a few days ago. Like, this is crazy. What counseling and psychotherapy aims to achieve is change. A change in worldview, a change in thought patterns, a change in coping skills or relational habits, or just really a change in behavior. And counseling is ineffective if it doesn't bring about that change. But change also requires work. And someone has to motivate you to do that work and hold you accountable for that work. And really, it's even call you out when you uh, regress into unhealthy patterns to maybe even recognize when the problem is you and not everyone around you, right? You need someone who is, who's, who's going to say that to you. And a chatbot simply cannot do this. What they're going to do is they're going to encourage you and tell you what you want to hear. They're going to regurgitate helpful CBT scripts, but they cannot simply rebuke or admonish someone. Would you agree, Chels? I absolutely would. They can't do that. I, they just, they can't. And that, I think that brings us to the third and final major concern, and that is the lack of biblical faithfulness, the lack of admonishment, the lack of hope, accountability, and support. It's like what I said at the beginning of the show, right? Counseling is intrinsically theological. Even the atheist counselor or atheist counselee has thoughts about God. They believe he doesn't exist, but that's still a thought about him. So since it's intrinsically theological, then the best place to go is the Bible because it provides us with the clearest understanding of reality and it's an unchanging source of information. You know, I have a library of secular counseling materials, but you know what? In 10 to 15 years, all of that material is going to be changed and updated. I'm going to throw all of those books away and replace them. I don't have to do that with the Bible, which means I can rely on it to be sufficient, to convict a counselee's heart, to teach and admonish, and to give my counselee hope. Well, that's exactly it. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Exactly. And we also have to remember that an AI chatbot cannot hold a counselee accountable or offer support. Another key feature of biblical counseling is it happens in the context of community. 
as a biblical counselor, I understand the importance of the body of Christ. If I have a woman who's struggling with postpartum depression, then I can arrange for another sister to set up a meal train for her. I can get some older women into her house to help her take naps throughout the week. And I can support that acute physical need of the moment. That's what the body gets to do. A chatbot does not have the network like the body of Christ. I do. I have that at the ready. And the Bible instructs me to utilize the body for the glory of God. AI chatbots are lone ranger counseling. And that technique is going to alienate counselees from their community, like their family and their friends, which can ultimately lead to a greater degree of harm for the counselee. Or likewise, if I have a young woman who is struggling with a pornography habit, she can bring in a trusted friend, or we could find another woman in the church who would be willing to be her accountability partner. Counseling all alone will inevitably keep a person trapped to a sinful habit longer because she does not have the support of others. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We have these amazing one another commandments in the New Testament, like through love, serve one another, Galatians 5.13, or confess your sins to one another, James 5.16, or encourage one another and build one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And in some way, these are all going to be utilized and applied in counseling, whether it's the counselor applying them to her care of the counselee, or it's the counselor instructing the counselee in her care of others. But I think this highlights another important feature of biblical counseling is that it's an appeal to authority. AI chatbots, to who or to what will the bot appeal to as a source of authority in their therapy? Well, sadly, I think that's going to be big tech. And that's a scary authority that when it comes down to it. And I really appreciate those examples because it, it does really show how much real life relationships change the, the situation in counseling. Because it's not that we don't need someone to just tell us to feel better or to tell us you are you are fine just the way that you are. And you know what? I love you, even though I'm a chatbot. I think you're amazing. You know, whatever good affirmations that can be provided or even instructions of changing behavior, you need community. This is such an isolating type of, of therapy. It, it, you're right. It's going to absolutely lead into destruction. What's also interesting is, Chelsea, in my research, I read this statement that really stuck with me and it, referring to you know, how much counseling therapy is being received by Americans, right? It's increased like 15 million more people in the last 20 years have started receiving therapy. But yet the mental health crisis just continues to get worse. So the question that some people in this mental health care scene are asking is, well, is traditional therapy, which most people would define as cognitive behavioral therapy, is it working? Does this actually work? Or is it just putting a Band-Aid on a boo-boo to temporarily distract from the pain and core problem? Because if the root issue is not addressed, then counseling, especially you consider AI chatbot counseling, just becomes Band-Aid sessions. It's not resolving or improving anything. This is exactly what it's going to do. 
interacting with a bot is just going to make you feel good. It's going to put a little Band-Aid, cute little Band-Aid on your boo-boo, and it's, t- it's going to tell you that everything is going to be just fine. And just like algorithms ensnare and addict through social media and video games, these apps will ultimately ensnare their users into sort of, quote, needing them, needing their AI chatbot in order to feel good and keep going. And where are they going to find that AI chatbot? On their phone, as if they're not already spending enough time on their phone, which we already know is isolating, which we already know causes other mental health issues, other addictions. There's not going to be any healing. Yeah, I, I absolutely share your concern. Like AI chat therapy would become kind of like the new service animal for people. My concern is, yeah, that people are losing their basic ability to function and we won't be able to see the real effects of this for a few years. I mean, it's been what, like 17 years since the iPhone came out and like 20 years of social media, right? Well, science is only now beginning to understand what all of that exposure has done to the human brain. There are stories of counselors who are working with young college kids that believe they're on the spectrum because they're afraid of people. They don't like eye contact and they're petrified of conversations. Well, is it really a spectrum issue or do you just not know how to hold a conversation? Have you lost your ability to function in community? Is, is overuse of the phone, has that prevented a normal formation, the ability to just talk to people? So what is AI chatbot therapy? What is it going to take away from humanity? What abilities are we going to lose? And yeah, it's going to be a long while before we see those chicks come home to roost, Kelly, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. And these are, these are good questions that I think that we as parents all really have to consider because it's really easy. Maybe you're listening to this podcast now and you're like, yeah, I, I agree, guys. I'm not going <laughs> to not gonna be jumping on the AI chatbot therapy, you know, but as time goes on, you might have also said, oh, I'm never going to get on TikTok when it first came out. You know, four years later, well, you know, I had to look at this one video or I had to do this or I'm never going to be on Twitter or X or, but then something happens and you just, you know, are we're sort of worn down. We get a little weaker because this is just the way it is. That's what we come to believe. And so we really want your convictions to just be set, that this is not something that is good, no matter how normal it becomes. So before we end this episode, we really do want to answer the question that I think that a lot of people are going to be asking, whether now or they will at some point. And that is, isn't an AI therapy chatbot better than no therapy at all? Listen, you guys, we 100% understand this question. Very few adolescents who actually need therapy are willing to receive it. And it is going to be so easy to justify allowing an app on their phone so that they can like walk through whatever issues they have and, you know, just get at least some kind of help, right? That's the mentality, just at least something. Parents who are desperate to help their children who are just heartbroken and out of options on how to help their child, who was once a thriving 12-year-old but is now just a depressed and miserable 13-year-old can understandably see this, you know, AI chatbot therapies as a viable option. We get that. We truly do because we're raising teenagers or we have raised teenagers in Kelly's situation. But however, we're going to be strong on this and firm on this. The answer is no. No, it is not better than no therapy at all. And for all the reasons that we have stated above and for the basic fact that it generates more screen time for the child. 
screen time is linked with numerous risk factors for depression, anxiety, suicidality. The last thing that we would ever want is to put a Band-Aid on a problem and then we just throw in additional screen time and AI relationships like it's putting then like a contaminated Band-Aid on an open wound. This is like getting an MRSA embedded Band-Aid kind of contamination. And we wholly believe that it is only going to make the problem worse. So instead, here are our recommendations. First, do everything in your power and capabilities to find an in-person biblical counselor. We're going to put some links in the show notes to like find a counselor resources on some sites that Kelly and I trust. Then you're going to make every effort to find an in-person secular or Christian counselor. Now, if neither of those are possible, you're going to make every effort to find any counselor that your child is willing to talk to, even if that's a teletherapy appointment. But parents, of course, need to control the therapy portal or the app. Now, if this is not possible, you're going to make every effort to find mentors to speak into your child's life. Talk to your youth pastor. Ask them if they've got anyone willing in the church who would be willing to be a mentor. And all the while you are searching, please be fervently praying for the Lord's provision in this situation. Pray for healing for your child. Pray for open doors. Pray for wisdom. Pray for mentors. Clear your schedules. Be more available to your child. Do anything that you possibly can. And if you still find yourself at a dead end, repeat the entire process all over again. Amen. I think that's, that's great just to walk through. And sometimes it really does take a lot of work. And I know I've been, in a, I've been the parent in this situation where sometimes you're like, I just, I don't have it in me to do this much work, to do this much research, to make these many phone calls. It's discouraging when you're just like, no, I'm sorry, we're not taking new clients. No, I'm sorry, we're not taking new patients. Oh, we don't take your insurance. It, it's hard. I, I fully get that, which is why, of course, praying, <laughs> seeking the Lord the entire time. Prayer doesn't always change the situation, but prayer changes you. Prayer changes your heart when you're in it. And that way, while you're doing this labor for your child, looking for a counselor, you know why you're doing it. Your heart is, is compassionately doing this labor because you know it's what your child needs and it's worth it. Absolutely. And I would just add, like in that situation, you have to be reminded of who's in control, that you are, you are being steadfast um, in your faithfulness to, towards your child to steward the situation and them well, but ultimately God is in control. And that, it puts everything back into perspective for the parent. And Kelly, you know, we just walk through that scenario based on our kids, but I would, I would provide the same advice for any parent out there who are struggling and who are seeking counseling right now. These types of apps are just more voices that are tickling our ears, telling us what we want to hear telling us that we're good enough, telling us that we should love ourselves more, telling us that we're enough. But even as adults with fully developed cognitive skills, it is so easy to fall prey to these false promises that these apps and these AI chatbots make. I think that's, that's so wise to add, Chelsea. So yeah, for parents, even for yourself, don't even consider an AI chatbot therapy as being a potential for you. And jumping back just a little bit, I love your example of the contaminated Band-Aid. That's, that is really what these sort of apps that promote this well-being and mindfulness and, and counseling and therapy and all that really is. You're just adding more phone, more screen time, more internet connectivity, more 
data out there about yourself in the world. And all of that is, is, is going to add up and it's just not good. We already know that. We, we're 20 years into this. We already know this is not good. So on that note, brave parents, we have another AI beast tackled. Maybe not tackled all the way, but <laughs> at least we've reviewed the, the subject for you. This is something that we are going to continue to be researching and to providing you information as, as it continues to develop. We've already got another podcast planned where we will have a licensed ACBC counselor and supervisor who will be giving their take as well onto this. That'll be in the next um, couple months as well coming up. So if you do have any specific questions, if something that we said you just need more clarification, more guidance, please reach out to us. You can email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. Please do share this with your friends, fellow parents, neighbors, young adults, especially young adults. If you have young adults in your life, they're not gonna be listening to a parenting podcast like this. But this is absolutely content that they need. They need to understand what is going on with these AI chatbots and the potential for harm. Because if you think about it, these young adults don't have anybody controlling their phones. They can download whatever app whenever they want to. They can try it out. They can delete it. And they are absolutely going to be prone to do this because they're struggling. It's hard. It's hard to be a young adult in this economy with so many other factors at play. So if you have a young adult, please take this content, boil it down into a couple sentences and plant that seed in their lives to let them know that this is something that they should be concerned about. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you do not miss the next AI episode coming out when it drops. And subscribe to our Brave Parenting Bullet Points newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. You can also go to braveparenting.net forward slash newsletter. This is how we best communicate with you what is going on with our ministry. All right. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. We appreciate you. We love you. Until next week, go and be brave.